Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. And part of trying to, uh, I don't know, uh, motivate people to be sensible when it comes to addressing violent crime in a place like Chicago, it's just to tell stories. Uh, we've talked about this before. What we can do is tell some of the stories of the victims and get reaction from victims' families, and maybe that starts to register such that uh, people snap out of it and appreciate the lack of leadership they have in the city and the state when it comes to public safety and decide that um, they're not going to be party to that party before they too are victimized in some material way. You know, Does it take having a tragedy befall you or a loved one before you start to question why things are the way they are. Uh, and so we have a terrible story to tell about a good guy, apparently. The Chicago bartender on his way home from work and uh, Good Samaritan, he sees uh, apparently a number of individuals trying to break into a car in uh, the near West Loop. And uh, he stops and he shot and killed because he attempted to intervene. 42-year-old Chicago bartender named Salvador Herrera. Here's his sister, Marcelina, on Salvador. He was someone who people cared about immensely. And he has left us completely broken. One. And that's how he died. The 42-year-old was on his way home from work early this morning when neighbors tell us he stopped near Loomis and Florinor on the near west side after he saw a group breaking into a Hyundai. He was still in his car when he tried to intervene. Investigators say he was shot in his back and later found by police on patrol. His family tells me he wasn't discovered until an hour after shots were fired. He later died at Stroger Hospital. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 646-36-DA, turnkey.pro text line. Some stories stick with you more than others. Certainly the story of a good Samaritan uh, should. Uh, somebody who apparently, from the accounts, uh, did everything right. Another person who played by the rules that's felled by a system that doesn't reward people who play by the rules. Tried to intervene to help somebody else he doesn't know who, you know, wasn't in the car. I don't know, you know, it's impossible to know if he thought somebody was being carjacked or somebody's car was just being broken into. But either way, 
uh, somebody who attempted to do something selfless for another, which is a story we don't get to tell all the time. Uh, Alan Markovic is the owner of the car that was broken into. Um, he had this to say about what occurred. He tells me this is the second time since July his car was broken into in this exact spot. He was inside of his apartment when he heard the shots but was too frightened to come outside. He's calling on city leaders to address the ongoing crime. Apparently, you know, if you try to do something good, um, unfortunately, you end up like that. So I think this man owes apology from uh, the whole city, not just me. Uh, his sister feels the same way. Back to Marcelina. Because I refuse that my brother will be one more statistic. He is not going to be one. We will make sure of that. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro, answer line 64636DA, turnkey.pro. Maybe that's what we need to do. Maybe we need to take up a, a story like Salvador Herrera, who at the age of 14 uh, began working at Butterfield Country Club out there in Tony Oakbrook to, to help contribute to the family. That's after their father died. So he starts working at 14, apparently working his ass off all the way to 42 when he's killed on the streets of Chicago trying to do the right thing. Maybe this is a story that we can amplify. Maybe this is um, somebody that we can, uh, somebody's story, somebody's life that we can use to embody the fundamental pathologies that afflict Chicago. And I'm not just talking about the predators, but I'm also talking about those who are willfully blind to the predation and support and elect politicians who are equally willfully blind to the predation. Maybe. I don't know. You're looking for innovative ways to try to get people's attention, maybe capture their imagination, maybe reach not just their hearts but their heads for a change in the city. Because the flip side of it is the stories like this that are ubiquitous and daily. Chicago man fired shots at two people while on bail for a felony gun case. Thank you, Safety Act. Not that it matters in Cook County, I understand. But regardless, this is the culture in the state of Illinois. Ch uh, charged with uh, shooting two people, including one he had an ongoing dispute with while he's on, felony, on bail for a felony gun case. Sure, there's a guy you don't want to hold over for trial. The 21st person this year accused of shooting, killing, or trying to shoot or kill someone in Chicago while awaiting trial for a felony. The cases involve at least 35 victims, 10 of whom died. Uh, eyewitness account in the Salvador Herrera killing uh, said about four people fled from the vehicle that he uh, stopped next to that was being broken into. I, I wonder if we'll ever know if these individuals are ever apprehended. I wonder what the background of these four individuals is. Remember, you heard the car owner say, this is the second time my car has been broken into in the same exact spot or on the same block. I wonder what we'll learn about those four. And maybe we'll learn, maybe, maybe, we'll learn that Salvador Herrera didn't have to be a victim because some, of, some if not all, of those individuals shouldn't be on the streets, just like 35 victims, 10 of whom died this year because of people who were accused of shooting, killing, or trying to shoot or kill someone 
while awaiting felony trial were on the streets. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. Show in Chicago talking about today's biggest stories and telling you what they really mean. That show is this one. Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560. The answer. Hey, business owners, is your business and money in good hands? Does your bank invest in your success? Hi, Mike Gallagher here, letting you know that when you need a relationship bank, Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. I love these guys. Not only do they have expansive industry experience, a strong financial track record, but they're also highly capitalized for strategic growth. That's so important. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. They know what it means to grow a business by designing solutions that are right for you and only you. These are real people. They're ready to help. So reach out to my friends at Signature Bank. Make the call today, 773-467-5630, 773-467-5630. Or visit them online at signaturebank.bank. That's signaturebank.bank. Your business could be Signature Bank's next success story. Go online, signaturebank.bank. Member FDIC, equal housing lender. Signature Bank. Dan and Amy talking about Salvador Herrera. You know, maybe um, since he worked at Butterfield when he was 14, Butterfield Country Club. I wonder if uh, perhaps there's a Butterfield Country Club member out there listening who, who maybe knows this kid. I mean, that was 28 years ago. But, um, yeah, you but remember, still, you guys have lasting effects on people. Yeah, you remember the, the kids you grew up with, yeah. um, uh, that, you know, that you grew up with uh, in that environment, that uh, grew up uh, working for the club, caddying and whatnot. And so maybe maybe Butterfield, maybe Butterfield Country Club members could take up his cause and this family's cause and add some profile to this case so it doesn't become just another statistic as his sister said matt in mount green you're on chicago's morning answer yeah good morning dan and amy uh, you know I, i'm with you dan i think you speaking of, about these stories would have a greater effect on people regardless of which way they they lean uh statistics bore typically but you know when you touch the hearts of people it, it does make a difference I, I truly believe that we can pontificate about the tragedy of this and you know the the ongoing saga, but it, when are people going to learn? And maybe when you share these stories, people will start opening their eyes and their ears to what's really going on here because it touches everybody. Have a good day. Thanks for the call, Matt. Yeah, and you know, it's another thing too. You want to elevate people that uh, uh, do selfless things, that live the life the right way, because we have to spend so much time talking about people who don't live life the right way. And so. Uh, to his sister's point, Salvador Herrera should be remembered. He shouldn't be a statistic. People should take this story and say to their kids, you know what, you should live your life like that young man did, working at the age of 14, supporting his family, uh, you know, looking out for one another, even though he had no duty to do so on his way home from work in early morning hours like he did. And it cost him his life, unfortunately. That's a sad commentary on our society, but it's a a positively uplifting commentary on that young man who was killed. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. So Ken Griffin, formerly of Chicago, now of uh, Miami, the greater Miami area, and his Citadel company, the hedge fund that he founded, Harvard alum, has joined fellow Harvard alum and hedge fund billionaire Bill Ackman in saying that uh, he will not hire students who signed on to the letter issued by the Palestinian Solidarity Committee. 
on the campus of Harvard University. Mm. These leaders would have been considered adults 100 years ago, and the decision to add their group's names to the letter was unforgivable. Um, focusing on the leaders of the groups. How do you end up in, in such a twisted place? It is despicable that leaders of these student groups did not immediately condemn the terrorist atrocities by Hamas, but instead blamed Israel for them. The members of these groups should swiftly denounce the hateful actions of their leadership and demand a change. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. You can also reach us all morning long on that text line that's exploding, 64636, type in DA, then a quick comment. Uh, he uh, also reportedly called for Harvard President Claudine Gay to voice a more full-throated defense of Israel as opposed to her very uh, Michael Schill, he of Northwestern, uh, Michael Schill statement, hey, look, I have my personal opinions, but I don't want to crowd out anybody's right to free speech on campus. All of a sudden, these um, uh, totalitarian administrators are huge defenders of free speech. Very interesting development. But back to Ken Griffin. You impressed? Uh, would you follow suit? I mean, even at uh, a local level, even if you don't have a company with thousands of employees, well, kids are the way they are because of their professors. I mean, I hear stories from Peyton and Eli all the time about, oh, this professor is so woke and keeps talking about BLM and uh, and it's so annoying. And I mean, so, they created the monster that they have in front of them. And people are just waking up to it now, but the hate's been there for a long time, as you and I have discussed, and it's just coming to light because of the Israeli war that's going on. Uh, so um, with the... Uh, the Ken Griffin, the Bill Ackman, mm -hmm. the uh, John Huntsman saying, I'm not going to give money to Cornell anymore. Or, no, excuse me, Penn anymore. The Huntsman Foundation won't give money to Penn anymore for the same reasons. All these Ivy League schools. Cornell we'll get to in a second. So are you impressed? Uh, you impressed by Ken Griffin and Bill Ackman? Because there's been a lot of cheerleading. There's a lot of cheerleading for Ackman. He was the first one to come out. So I'm not going to hire him. We're going to highlight the people who signed this petition. We're going to call on our Wall Street friends to not hire them and so on and so forth. Some law firms have done the same. Winston and Strawn rescinding um, an employment opportunity for an NYU law grad for similar reasons. Are you impressed? You think this is uh, an example of the... Uh, Kajillionaire set finally waking up to the reality of the schools that they fund. You feel like the schools are finally uh, understanding what they've suborned on campus and the professorate. Or do you feel like this is all a lot of cosplay to cover our people's respective backsides? I mean, are you going to follow suit? Are you going to – I mean, a lot of employers, they said, as I was saying, you don't have to have tens of thousands of employees, thousands of employees to do a social media search on someone before you hire them. You don't have to have a huge HR department to say, you know, I want to look at specific things with these individuals, uh, specific moments that may have been tells as to who they really are as opposed to, you know, who they present themselves in, a, in an interview, which is, you know, very much like a first date. Um, you you like that? You think that's the play, and it, it's a it's an illustration of a recognition 
that there needs to be a paradigm shift in higher education? 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. 646-36DA, turnkey.pro text line. Uh, now, I say that against the backdrop that Ken Griffin has given half a billion dollars to Harvard. Wow. Um, I, I say that, um, so so again, I, I know we're only supposed to, and this is what he wants, supposed to look at the statement he's making now. What about what he was doing for all those years with all those millions? Uh, was it unknowable what was happening on the campus of Harvard? Were, were there not other examples of intolerant, sophomoric, barbaric behavior on campuses in the Ivy League, including Harvard? This is all new. This was subterranean until, oh, you know, the weekend before last. Mm, no. The Huntsman Foundation will close its checkbook on all future giving to Penn. You know, that's that's yesterday. Longtime Penn supporters will halt donations to unrecognizable university. It's just unrecognizable, whatever that means, from what it used to be, whatever that was, as of the weekend before last. Is that what you want me to believe? Uh, I mean, run down the list. Spin the wheel. Pick a university, any university, just about. Doesn't have to be Ivy League. Doesn't have to be quote-unquote elite school. The Stanford professor who's uh, on hiatus after separating Jews in the classroom. Jews over here. Now you know what the Palestinians feel like. That's a fun exercise. Uh, how about this dude from Cornell? Since I mentioned him, this is making the rounds now from a weekend rally in support of the Palestinians and Mainly, the support of the Palestinians by these academics is just expressed in hatred of Israel and uh, Jewish people. Cornell University Associate History Professor Russell Rickford. It was exhilarating. It was exhilarating. It was energizing. If they weren't exhilarated, no, wasn't. By this. I'm exhilarated, and if you're not exhilarated by the Hamas attack, then you wouldn't be human. It's exhilarating. This it was energizing, yes. This challenge to the monopoly of, of violence in the Middle East. That's Cornell. Oh, now you get some Cornell students saying, oh, he shouldn't have said that. And um, I'm sure you'll have some Cornell donors say, oh, I don't like that. I mean, it's not just Ken Griffin, too. I'm just, and Bill Ackman. I'm just highlighting the high-profile people. They like to be highlighted. So if you like to be highlighted, you get to get, you're going to be highlighted in a lot of different directions. You don't get to just pick and choose. So here's some highlighting. And that also includes the Israeli billionaire on the board of Harvard University who just resigned over the collective response, uh, both from the students and the administration vis-a-vis -vis the students. Oh, 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 you're on the board of Harvard? You're Israeli? And 
you just came to realize what was going on on campus the weekend before last? Is that what you want me to believe? Am I supposed to applaud you? Is that what you want? It seems to me that uh, what we have here is a lot of people very comfortable with the status when there's no price to be paid. Very comfortable uh, having their names put on buildings because these are revered institutions. How do we know? Because they tell us they're revered. Because the U.S. News and World Report says they should be. It's not based on performance. Yeah, obviously they have a lot of smart people that run through there and a lot of the uh, sons and daughters of the wealthy and the successful. And that's all well and good. Those most of a lot of those kids and certainly those kids that went through the Ivy League or Northwestern or Stanford and went on to do wonderful things that advance the cause of humanity. They were going to do that if they went to Harvard or Northwestern uh, or Illinois State or wherever. I mean, the networks and the meetings and I, I get it. I get the benefits. Okay, so we don't have to go down that rabbit hole. But but the. The status without consequence. And then when I'm exposed for what I have been underwriting, what I have been willfully blind to, then I get on my hind legs and I say, no more. What the, this is, how could this, this is outrageous. I'm so disappointed. They should denounce this and they should stop doing that because I need to be exonerated. By the way, It's the same thing that goes on on the other side, including in the Jewish community, as we talked about a bit yesterday. Uh, When it comes to, you know, sort of their affiliation with the Democrat Socialist Party out of guilt. Hey, you know, I'm going to go make a kajillion dollars on Wall Street or whatever. I'm going to be a big shot BSD in the media or somewhere else. And, uh, you know, then I'll raise my paddle at a JUF event and I'll say, hey, look, I I paid at the office. I did my part. I'm a good person. I'm exonerated from any of the implications of the policies I support, the people I support, the institutions I support. I'm exonerated. I raised my paddle at that JUF event. I I made a statement denouncing these... um, uh, Hamas sympathizers on campus at Harvard. Mm. I, you, you'll have to excuse me if I'm not impressed. Because I know a lot of people are. Jordan in Antioch, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Morning, Dan. Morning, Amy. Um, I, I would be semi-impressed if these guys back their play. I would be semi-impressed if if they actually follow through with it. But unfortunately, I, I think they're full of crap. And I think that, you know, oh, the history of hate and all this started last week at these universities. You didn't see any of this prior to uh, beheadings and burned babies put on uh, Twitter and, and social media. And, and, and where would, where would their, their morality, where would their, where would their mindset be had it not been put on public display and then revealed that these guys are big backers of these people? I think their, their, their opinions would never change, but like you said, they got caught with their fingers in the cookie jar. 
and now they have to be, oh, woe is me, this is a terrible thing, and then you're going to still feed these organizations through back channels through other corporations. I don't know. I think, I think like you said, they're bloviating. They're looking, oh, look at me and look at what I'm doing, and then they're going to go right back to doing what they're doing. So, no, I'm, I'm not impressed. I think they're full of crap. I think they're all liars, and I don't Thank think you. they would have changed their mindset had they not gotten, had it been broadcast, and then they had to uh, feign moral outrage. Thanks. Thanks. The call, Jordan. Yeah. Well, it would be interesting to see if there's um, uh, attention brought to I rescinded a job offer. I chose not to hire this person. They're not going to talk about that. They're just made. This is press release politics from corporate America. They're not, they're, it, you don't think that they have a staff that's going to go through and make sure that they're maybe on the list? maybe maybe not they have people. Yeah, maybe, maybe not. And and then they're going to highlight those individuals. They're going to say, uh, John Smith came in here for a job, but he was one of the student group leaders that signed on to the Israel apartheid, uh, uh, the Hamas attack was exhilarating sort of letter that was circulating on the campus of Harvard. So we told John Smith that we're not hiring you. You expect announcements like that to be coming from uh, the worlds of high finance and elsewhere? I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't expect it. This is uh, the uh, seeking of status by other means. Tina and Joliet, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Hi, good morning, guys. I, uh, no, I don't, I, I, I agree with you guys. It's, a, it's performative. I'm appreciative of it. I'm glad they're doing it. It's long overdue. There's overt terrorist support on our college campuses, and it's taught throughout the halls of of these elite universities. But what I want to say is that, you know, uh, years ago when my son was in high school, he started going down a path that I saw was disastrous. So I had to make a very hard decision. I pulled him away from his friend group. I took him out of that school. I took away every luxury in the kid's life. And for two years, he went to a, he finished school somewhere else away from the environment that I felt was toxic. These parents, the parents need to, to reevaluate what they're doing, how they're, quote, supporting their children and educating them. This is, a, this is a cancer in this country. They need, parents need to, if your kid is out there protesting in support of Hamas, you owe it to your child to give them a hard dose of reality. You cut them off financially. You give them a choice. You either get your ass home or we cut you. No cell phone, no car, no tuition, nothing. You support terrorism on your own dime. I'm done. This is about saving your child and benefiting the country. We're at that point. This is, these universities are, are, are cesspools, absolute cesspools, and they're Thanks. destroying our children. Thanks for the call, Tina. Well, you know, the comments to Russell Rickford, the attack is exhilarating. Columbia University politics professor Joseph Massad, who called the terrorist attack in Gaza, awesome. You know, it's 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 really telling when you use descriptions like that. It's not saying it was justified because Israelis and Israel is an apartheid state or they're an occupier, they're an oppressor. They're even making arguments. They're just celebrating the senseless slaughter of kids at a concert. 
it's, it's like it was it's, pent up energy too. Like they've it's, been waiting their whole lives to make this declarative statement. It's next level depravity. Yeah, it's not just a bad argument. It's not just a geopolitical misdirection. It's next level depravity. That that's how you know there is hatred in the heart. And um, so that's where you want to spend eighty grand sending your kid. That's where you. Go, that's what you're going to underwrite because I went to Columbia. I'm a Columbia man. I'm a Yale man. I'm a Princeton man. Northwestern, Stanford, George Washington. They've got George Washington University uh, has one too. Posting, you know, all this pro Hamas propaganda and so forth. She's already under federal investigation. Uh, I believe a Title IX investigation uh, for mistreating Jewish students in her classroom. Greg Jefferson Park. Hey, good morning, guys. You know, I think something similar to this is the same thing that we saw when, uh, when you know, the attack on uh, on the, those people first happened. You got uh, everybody up in Highland Park, including Fat Man, uh, talking about how, you know, we need to support the Israelis and everything else. You know, there's few people in Israel that don't walk around with an AR-15 strapped to them, not hidden or anything else. Yet I'll bet every one of those people, Pritzker, the mayor of Highland Park, what happened on July 4th, uh, what, last year, two years ago, uh, you know, they want to take all of our guns, but they got no problem with Israelis walking around with guns to uh, be able to uh, defend themselves against terrorists. Well, everything we got going on here in this country, I'm sure there's terrorists all over the place with the millions of people crossing the border. Well, that's a whole other issue, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, thanks yeah. for the call, Greg. Um, you know, something else, too. I, I, I would find all of the the um, high-profile individuals offering statements of denunciation in response to the intemperate rhetoric uh, and the failure to speak with moral clarity from professors and university presidents. I, I would be a little bit more impressed if it was preceded with a you know what, uh, this is on me too. I was flying blind or I thought this was, you know, just kids going through their growing pains on a college campus, getting their protest on, and I didn't take it as seriously as I should. I didn't understand the how sclerotic uh, my alma mater had become, how far off the rails it had gone. And so that's on me too, and now I'm really going to make a, a pivot here. But I'm not hearing that. I'm hearing... You know, what is a version of, of poverty simulation in Highland Park since Highland Park was brought up? That's what I'm hearing. Business owners, now's the time for your business to make the move to a locally owned business bank. Hi, Mike Gallagher here to let you know that you don't have to look far. Signature Bank was founded in Chicago with a simple mission to help companies like yours grow, succeed, and thrive. Their decisions are made locally by a terrific team that knows your name, cares about your business, and invests in your success. That's why Signature Bank bank is my bank. I'm a customer. As business owners, they knew that local family-owned businesses were not getting the help they needed or deserved. So, I invite you to reach out to my friends at Signature Bank today. Write the number down. Remember this phone number, Signature Bank, 773-467-5630. And learn all about this great bank, 773-467-5630. Or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. 
That's SignatureBank.Bank. Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, Picking up on what we were talking about last hour and expanding on it a bit. One uh, university I didn't mention in our discussion of uh, Ken Griffin and Bill Ackman as it pertains to Harvard and the Huntsman family as it pertains to Penn and the other Ivy League schools. We got this email. How about St. Xavier University right here in Chicago? This email from a junior at St. Xavier. I'm a junior at St. Xavier. Received the following message by the assistant director of Campus Life via mass email, quoting, he was quoting as well, We will demonstrate our solidarity with the march around the main campus in support of our brothers and sisters. Please come and show your support for all the innocent lives that were lost and provide justice to the people of Palestine. Hashtag free Palestine. St. Xavier University is a Catholic university. Yeah, right. <laughs> like DePaul is, like Loyola is, like Georgetown is. Catholic universities. Hilarious. That's from the assistant director of Campus Life. That's not from a student group, like a Palestinian or Arab American student group, something like this. From the assistant director of Campus Life. That's the, one could argue, the official position of St. Xavier University. So... You know, um, I don't have to worry about it. My kids don't go to the Ivy League. Uh, We can't afford Northwestern or Stanford, even if we had the grades. So, you know, here going here locally where, you know, all the uh, elite politics that uh, we read about doesn't exist. Yeah, it does. Sure does. Something else about the reaction to all this that extends beyond... Hamas's terrorist attack in Gaza certainly includes the reaction here, the cultural reaction here in America. Beckett Adams had a good piece about this. Uh, do you get the sense, but over at uh, WashingtonExaminer.com, I should hasten to add, you get the sense that um, the left wants its political opponents dead? You get that sense? Um, I don't want my political opponents dead. I'm not wishing death on anyone. I don't want them to be in charge. They don't want us to be around. You, you get the difference? 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. 64636-DA, turnkey.pro text line. Uh, Beckett Adams writing, recall the pandemic? Do you remember that? COVID-19 oh, pandemic? That thing, yeah. Still lurking around. Um, don't forget how they hoisted high the corpse of former GOP presidential candidate Herman Cain in order to make some larger political point about Republican anti-science. Don't forget the left-wing media personalities who spent entire news cycles gloating over the deaths of conservatives and right-wingers who had previously protested lockdowns, expressed skepticism of the vaccines, or even the deadliness of the virus itself. In fact, um, there are many still playing that game. They were talking about Herman Cain the other day, like, oh, if he wouldn't have gone to that Trump rally, he'd still be alive. Oh, really? Really? You know that. Okay. Uh, Deborah Cleaver is the founder of Vote.org. She had this to say about Mary Lou Retton. 
you know, Olympic gymnast Mary Lou Retton. Yeah. You saw the stories about her having this. She's uh, pneumonia, rare form yeah. of pneumonia. But she's, right. I heard last report I heard is she's getting better. A Vote.org founder, Deborah Cleaver. Mary Lou Retton is in the ICU uninsured with severe breathing problems. This is awful, and I wish her a speedy recovery. Omitted from most coverage is that she is a millionaire Republican, willfully uninsured, likely unvaccinated, and I'm guessing COVID positive. What the heck hmm. is that? I, I'm, I'm not sure you actually wish her that speedy recovery. I'm not sure Why? I believe that, given that the sentence that followed. That doesn't seem too sincere, Dan. And how does she know? She doesn't know any of that. What is she talking about? She was a millionaire. Uh, she wouldn't be having a, her daughters wouldn't have a GoFundMe page to raise money for her. There, there are other examples of this. Uh, it's not even worth discussing on the merits. It's the larger point. They're cheering for your death if you disagree. Last year in Florida, when Hurricane uh, Ian uh, wiped out a lot of Southwest Florida. Now is climate change real? Get what you deserve. Hmm. They're okay. hoping it would wipe out Republicans. You people uh, down there in Florida. They're so, so, I mean, it just repeats itself across every issue. If you disagree, you should die. That is the position of the new Marxists who find themselves positioned as the center of gravity in the Democrat Party in this country and of labor and other leftist parties in the Western world. We don't want them in power. We don't want them in charge. They don't want us around. Starting to resonate? 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. 64636DA, turnkey.pro text line. Let me give you another example. <laughs> we'll go example. We could do all morning of examples of this uh, in the not too distant past. We don't even have to go that far back. Frankly, in real time, um, General Michael Hayden, one of uh, the revered uh, four-star generals, uh, intel agency chiefs, uh, storied career in government, providing for the security of our nation. That's what we're supposed to believe. That's what I used to believe about generals, or that used to be at least my default position about generals and heads of the CIA and, and heads of the FBI. These are people that have important jobs, and they're largely doing great work focused on providing for America's safety, both domestically and internationally. I don't believe that so much anymore. And it's because of the Jim Clappers, and the James Comeys, and the Christopher Rays, and the John Brennans, and the Michael Haydens. Alan Bakari, who's an investigative tech reporter for Breitbart, um, he wants you to know what Michael Hayden's doing right now, in addition to calling for the death of Tommy Tuberville, the senator from uh, Alabama, who is holding up uh, military appointments because of the leadership of the military. Lloyd Austin, Mark Milley, speaking of what I was talking um because of their uh, focus on social engineering and radical left politics in the military, like funding abortions and trans surgeries and so forth. 
Well, meanwhile, report out that uh, 70% of military enlisted are overweight. Hmm. Interesting. Keeping your eye on the prize focus. So what's uh, Michael Hayden up to now in addition to, again, calling for the elimination of his political opponents? Very in keeping with the left. Oh, he's also part of an organization called NewsGuard. And you should know about this. Former CIA director, four-star general. What's he up to now? Shutting up conservatives. If we, if we can't get rid of you, if we can't eradicate you from the face of the earth, the least we can do is shut you up. Michael Hayden has been in the news lately after he called for Republican Senator Tommy Tuberville to be, quote-unquote, removed from the human race, a comment the senator condemned as a call for assassination. This wasn't the first partisan outburst from Hayden. He's also compared Trump supporters to the Taliban, called the Trump movement more dangerous than al-Qaeda, and even said that unvaxxed MAGA supporters should be given a one-way ticket to Afghanistan. But who is Michael Hayden, and why should we care? Hayden is currently an advisor to NewsGuard, an organization that claims to offer non-partisan assessments on the trustworthiness of news outlets. More on them later. First, let's take a look at the man who wants Americans to disappear for their political beliefs. This is a former four-star general who was at the pinnacle of the U.S. intelligence community. He served under three presidents, going from one top spiral to the next. He was director of the NSA under Clinton and Bush, at a time when its domestic surveillance of Americans went into overdrive. He was deputy director of national intelligence, again under Bush. And he was director of the CIA under Bush and Obama. Throughout this long career as a spy chief, Hayden was accused of brazenly lying to Congress and the American people about everything from the surveillance of Americans to torture programs in the war on terror. Before Hayden became a professional anti-MAGA pundit, the liberal media was happy to report on his long record of lies and half-truths. What's this former propaganda master doing now, you ask? He's on the board of advisors of NewsGuard. That's right. This ex-spook, who stands accused of lying to Congress and the American people for decades, is now working with an organization that claims to be an authority on truth and falsehood. It's actually not that surprising. NewsGuard's stated purpose is to blacklist certain media outlets, trying to discredit them and starve them of advertising revenue. The organizations they have focused on are overwhelmingly conservative and anti-establishment. The Global Disinformation Index, which was caught red-handed advising advertisers to financially throttle conservative websites, is another example. Organizations like NewsGuard play a key role in the vast industry that is now dedicated to social media censorship and financial blacklisting. By maintaining lists of disfavored news sources, they provide social media companies and advertisers with an easy roadmap, telling them who to censor and who to promote. NewsGuard gives its stamp of approval to news outlets that repeatedly push gigantic falsehoods, like Russiagate and the P dossier, while downgrading the sources that question those narratives. And then there's Michael Hayden. Here's a guy who's been engaged in cover-ups and disinformation campaigns for his entire career, advising a company that claims to be in the truth business. He even promoted misinformation while he was a NewsGuard advisor. In 2020, he lent his name to an infamous open letter, falsely claiming that the Hunter Biden laptop story was quote-unquote Russian disinformation. The co-founder of NewsGuard, Stephen Brill, bought that lie. In the closing months of 2020, he went on national TV to claim, without evidence, 
that the Hunter Biden laptop story was a likely Russian hoax. This false claim spread throughout the mainstream media resulted in the censorship of one of the most significant election year stories, no doubt impacting the final result of the ballot box. The career of Michael Hayden is a reminder that the business of intelligence is inextricably tied to the business of propaganda and misinformation. And in the digital era, there's no better place to do that than with an organization that wants to tell you who you should trust. Mm-hmm. Wants to tell you who you're allowed to listen to. Wants to tell you what you're allowed to think. Or else what you're allowed to think at the point of a gun, ultimately. Tom in Blue Island. Hey, good morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, Dan, this seems to follow a congruent line. If if leftism is a religion and you're not of that religion, then your death is probably seen as righteous. I believe this for years. I know this extends further than Trump supporters, but I've always felt if they could kill Trump or Trump supporters, to them it would be circumstance. It would just be aligned to their victory. And maybe not just maybe kill is the wrong word, Dan. Like if it just if you were to die, like you said. With Herman Cain, that's okay because you're not on their side, and if you're not on their side, you don't have a, uh, you know, you don't have a right to live as far as they're concerned. Thanks for the call, Tom. The other Tom in Oswego. Good morning, Dan and Amy. I agree. I think for years I, I always felt that uh, Democrats, left-leaning people, uh, don't really want to talk about the ideas, you know, and argue in the arena. They just want to promote what they believe, and that's it. And if you don't agree with it, you, you, you know, you're just uh, you're castigated, and they don't want to talk to you. I've tried to talk with people who don't agree with me, and they're on the other side, and I try to understand w- what their line of thinking is. I, I really do, but you, there's no sense talking to them because they have a certain belief in their minds, and whether it's right or wrong. They'll stick to it, and they even if they know it's wrong, because if they backtrack, that sort of deflates their whole argument for everything. So they figure, well, I can't even backtrack on anything I believe, because if I do, that leaves an opening for people that have common sense. It's really sad, and yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks for the call, Tom. Uh, You know, I mean, this is a, a ideology that eliminates people who are inconvenient both at the beginning of life at the end of life abortion on demand all nine months post-delivery abortion that's when you have a conversation according to former virginia governor ralph kkk northam remember abortion on demand all nine months taxpayer funded shout your abortion celebrate on the back end euthanasia and then it's not even on the back end anymore. You're feeling a little bit down in the dumps. Get rid of them. You know, so the fully autonomous human being. I've seen that in the Western world. Now we're seeing it in the Pacific Northwest here. It's not just for uh, people with uh, intractable diseases anymore. It's for people that uh, have uh, a mental illness that... If you're depressed. That's potentially treatable. Um, regardless, they they are in the business of empowering the state and ideally in their world, controlling the state they empower to decide who lives and who dies. 
So is it any wonder? Should it be any surprise? The statements you're hearing about people who don't comply with their COVID orthodoxy, with their climate change, uh, apocalyptic climate change orthodoxy, with their solidarity and marginality program that they believe they can leverage for that state control that I described. Any wonder that anybody who becomes inconvenient is, oh, geez, to borrow a phrase, an enemy of the state. And you know what you have to do to enemies of the state in order to make sure everyone's safe, in order to protect our democracy. The patinas they use to cloak their motivations. And this isn't reading into somebody's heart. This is paying attention to their behavior. Frank Arlington Heights. Good morning. Arthur Schlesinger Sr. wrote a book about the 1930s called The Crisis of the Old Order. And that old order was, of course, the the order from the Civil War until the 1920s and the New Deal. And I I have to tell you, as, as our economy financializes more and we reach the end of the Condratif cycle here, the left just keeps getting more and more unhinged because their old order is crumbling. And I think you can file these in that the Christ that this is like the psychodrama chapter of a new book we could title The Crisis of the Liberal Order, I think. It's just you keep hearing it, these rantings and these ravings. They're unhinged. They really are. And they see it. They see what's happening. Thanks so they the go call. unhinged. Thanks for the call, Frank. Another example of this, um, text from 847, a Kathy Griffin holding up the, you know, mock severed head of Donald Trump. Remember that? So disgusting. Does, does that does that give you any sort of insight into the attitude? I hope so. Mary and Beverly. Good morning. Uh, so going through this for the second time over here on the south side with the schools, and we just challenged the use of social-emotional learning at our grade school and we got uh, a meeting with the principal and pastor. We got, um, which was unfruitful. And then after an email exchange where I tried to give some examples that it didn't align with Catholic teaching and I didn't think it was going to be, should be used, or at least please pull my child out. We got an email that said, uh, if you still have reservations, we respect your right to consider other schools for your child, children. Mm-hmm. We had never talked about leaving the school, but it would sure be easier for them if we just shut up and moved on. Right. Yeah, they want you to leave. Thanks for the call, Mary. Right. Yeah, a, you're not talking about it, but they are. Yeah, yeah, got text messages. Dan and Amy, they showed their true colors during COVID. No jab, no insurance, no treatment. And it doesn't matter that they were wrong. Well, it doesn't matter that, that, wrong. Th- that everything that they said about what was going to guarantee somebody's safety and so forth, it doesn't matter that it was wrong. You're wrong. You know why? Because I said so. And I'm willing to impose uh, the ultimate consequence on your wrongheadedness with your head. Bob in Buffalo Grove. 
Good morning, Dan and Amy. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, this is uh, more Chicago's Morning Answers archivix. Uh, archi- archivist, by the way. Anyway, go ahead, Bob. Oh, yes. Yes, nine years next year. <laughs> Not um, thank you. Yes, thank, thank you. you. <laughs> uh, with regards to you, they didn't try to uh, kill you, but they did try to silence you. Yeah. Uh, recall your newspaper, how they tried to uh, eliminate your uh, speech uh, with regards to... Um, the paper that you distributed. I wonder how many other people are trying to be silenced. Um, what's going on with this new um, administration? Or this administration? They well, just don't like opposing speech. Right. Have I'm sure that. Day. Thanks for the call, Bob. Yeah, there would be crocodile tears if uh, I, my passing was untimely. But yeah, you're right. I mean, NewsGuard is just an extension of the collaboration that we know about, thanks to Elon Musk and the Twitter files journalists. The, the collaboration we know between the big social media platforms and the federal and, f- and federal government writ large, all the agencies. This is all documented now. We know that. But but that's they don't stop there. They We brought this to you the other day. A uh, half a billion dollars that's being cobbled together by the MacArthur Foundation to uh, do what um, uh, the, the old model can't do anymore, which is to do, quote-unquote, local news, which is to say, local news outlets that are leftist propagandists just like the major dailies that nobody reads anymore sun the uh, npr times and chicago tribune are going the way of the dodo bird so they need to come up with a new version of the old play and anybody that would do something different independent with local news be transparent about the stories they're going to cover where they're coming from like uh, the group i'm a part of was well Fake news, fake news, fake news, uh, right-wing propagandists, right-wing propagandists. I mean, the typical projection and categorical smearing so you don't have to address any of the uh, issues on the merits, including what you're doing to privately finance and stand up news organizations because the old models don't work for the old media. No, it's, it's uh, fascinating times. But, you know, again, as Thomas Sowell always reminds us examine the premises from which people start it will provide the map to their conclusions sports and politics and sports and politics and sports and politics and intersection arrogance and ignorance arrogance ignorance and arrogance and ignorance intersection i got a few uh Things to cover in this latest edition of Sports and Politics. But first, again... Oh, do you do? Yes. I want to make this uh, public safety announcement for the North Shore. <laughs> uh, we're down to about uh, 72 hours, oh, 72 hours uh, before the one versus two matchup. Mount Carmel, the animals from the south side, caravan up to Wilma to take on Loyola. And again, North Shore residents... Look... I mean, there's make still the, time. Make the, make the plans to get to a safe place before, I'd say before Friday night. I mean, you don't want to be up against it. Hey, my address. Debbie. That's it. Thank you. I live uh, right across the street from Loyola. Now, the, uh, last, two Thursday nights ago, August 24th, there was back to school night. You couldn't even walk down the street. Oh, they allowed you to park on the other side of our block. And there were people that were walking their dogs, their kids were out. They almost got killed. And second of all, when they have halftime on Friday nights, where do you think they're going? 
to the bars. And then they're going to be walking the neighborhoods drunk. I mean, do you guys even care? And then crime's going to come in because when they play St. Rita or Mount Carmel, everybody just comes from everywhere on the south side of Chicago. And there was four robberies in our neighborhood. I mean, like, seriously. It's going to make crime up and it's going to make people not want to buy around here. Exactly oh God, right. The Southside Catholics are ruthless. It's going to be mayhem. Look, uh, this is, I mean, it, it's bad enough, the prospect of a Tears for Fears concert at Ryan Field. I mean, this is next level. So just take it seriously and, uh, I, you know, Lock get out. Lock your doors and windows now if you can't leave. Yeah. Get up to Lake Geneva before the expressways get too crowded with all the people fleeing the North Shore and just get to a safe space. Right? Go to be your safe. new Buffalo home, right? Be safe out there. All right. Okay. Well, that's important. Oh, that's great. Uh, in addition to that, this was an interesting uh, uh, piece of research on uh, student athletes at the collegiate level, and sort of speaks to uh, some of the the you know issues surrounding men playing women's sports that we talked about yesterday. We'll talk about it again here. Uh, recent research indicates that sports performance makes former student athletes more valuable in the workplace. Former college athletes are m- much more likely to enter the high-earning fields of business and finance relative to their non-athlete yeah. classmates. Uh, that can benefit the former students, their alma mater, and the economy overall, writes Tyler Cohen in his latest column in Bloomberg. Because they're disciplined. The research shows that student-athletes are less likely to get a doctoral degree or become a medical doctor or to enter STEM fields. He asked, might it be that STEM jobs will become the province of the less athletic? Become... Um, haven't you seen Big Bang Theory Uh, All right, Uh, he goes on to say looking at just Ivy League graduates most not going to the pros former athletes do better in the labor market than non-athletes the result holds even when controlled for school attended year of graduation field of study and first jobs those same athletes are also more likely to hold senior positions that could be evidence of leadership skills or of their ability to learn and improve over time as good athletes must do After five years, the earnings of the former college athletes start to outperform their non-athletic peers. He goes on to point out that the same study shows that athletes in more socioeconomically diverse sports, such as track and field, also earn more than their non-athletic peers, which suggests that their advantage doesn't come from having attended some fancy prep school or even necessarily a quote-unquote elite status school but um, just because of what is required to be an athlete at the collegiate level. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 64636DA, turnkey.pro text line. And I, I assume it would be interesting to see, I, I, this is, you're talking about um, uh, you know athletes that are recruited or walk on to existing programs, but I would even think at the club sport level, some of the club sports, which are pretty, uh, intense and competitive mm-hmm. um, that the same would hold true that the leadership skills that you uh, acquire uh, serve you well and well, shows that you can the handle the workload world. I mean that you're you, you can organize your time correctly because you know if you're not getting your grades they make sure that you get your grades so you have to be well organized and it shows that you're a leader I think and that uh, that, you're committed because you have to be It's a lot of hours if you're going to be playing club or if you're obviously going to be playing, you know, collegiate division one, two or three ball. Well, it's just interesting because then it speaks to, um, again, 
it, it, it just speaks to taking valuable spots uh, at the next level, uh, men taking valuable spots in women's sports, for example. Now, I understand the, the counter argument will be immediately, well, you know, if Leah Thomas, um, the clownfish at uh, Penn, takes a spot from a woman, that female swimmer who uh, is not getting a scholarship to Penn or not being invited to, to swim on the women's swim team there, there's thousands of colleges where she probably could swim. But that's not really the point, is it? No, not really. It is interesting, the, the athlete thing, though, and um, uh, how that translates into the private sector. And you sort of see the, the NCAA commercials, but that's obviously marketing. The NCAA commercials that oh, always right. that's you know, talk about uh, they, they go into something professional other than sports and you know the, the different athletes that from different schools that find success in various professions and so forth. Just sort of an interesting side note. Um, one other thing, since we're talking about trans, I just, boy, just up and down the the, um, the uh, age demographics as well as across all sports, this is something. Uh, let me introduce you to Liz Kosab. Um, Liz, yeah. Liz Kosab, she, um, well, no, excuse me, not she. Uh, Liz Kosab is um, the women's fencing champion for 70 plus uh, women, 70 years or older. There's a job for me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Take up fencing. There's hope, yes. She beat, uh, excuse me. Liz, don't call me Greg Kosab, beat 14-time world champion Maria Lisa Samorja at the five veteran fencing world championships in the 70-plus category. Um, Liz, don't call me Greg Kosab, has been fencing since he was in college when he was called Greg. Back then, he ranked 20th in the United States. Oh, nice. And he uh, becomes, it says he's a woman, and now he's number one. Well, I mean, this is some years removed from uh, college. It's just interesting it, it, in part because you, the picture of the two, it's very much like uh, the picture of the two fencing. It's very much like the picture of that dude that was like 6'9". This is a decade ago now. This is how oh, long he's been going on. Dude that was 6'9", playing uh, Division three basketball. He was like 6'8", 6'9", you know, 270, and he just... Wasn't he a former Navy SEAL? No, 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 I don't think so. Uh, anyway, um, here's uh, Liz, don't call me Greg Kosab, answering the question, how do you do it? The picture. <laughs> His reach is about twice the reach of this 14-time world champion. And I assume, I don't know fencing, but I, I, all I know about fencing is from watching The Princess Bride, but... I assume that's important anyway. World champion Liz Kocap, congratulations. Um, four in a row now for you, two in the in the 60s, and now um, two more in the 70s, and eight overall yes. in your career. Um, what what keeps you coming back? What keeps you out there winning? Well, um, I'm not quite sure. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Not quite sure. Yeah, her arm length or his arm length is very long. Four in a row. Sport. Okay, he's been dominating uh, women's fencing, uh, the senior division, for the better part of the last decade, it would appear. It's just interesting. It's fun. 
Uh, speaking of fun, one more. Um, we've got um, Super Fans Next Generation. Oh, this is the best ever. Uh, the kids oh. of uh, the Super Fans of your the the George Wentz and the and the Chris Farleys. They've got a song. Hello, darkness, my old friend. The Bears have lost the game again. Thought we were headed for two in a row. But Justin went down and I screamed, oh no. Then Badgett came in and he fumbled the freaking ball. And the Bears would fall. The Bears fans' hopes are dying. That Thursday night game sure was sweet. My expectations finally beat. Might have something we could build upon. I finally got to write a happy song. But then my eyes were stabbed by the flash of her cousin's close. All bought from Coles. The Bears fans' hopes are dying. Fools say, hey, you should've known. This team ain't built to take the throne. But I just wanted two wins in a row. I sure ain't asking for too much, you know. It's this team that I love that I just can't let go they're all I know the Bears fans hopes are dying the Bears <laughs> pretty good yeah they're wearing the outfits too the mustache and the glasses they don't have big pot bellies but you know they're getting it done that was good it's very um, cathartic to listen to. I, I, it's a nice uh, uh, parody uh, uh, use of the Sound of Silence. Of course, the Simon Garfunkel classic. Did you ever hear the Disturbed cover of that? Oh yeah, I love that song. That's on that's, my playlist. That Disturbed cover. I mean, that's that's uh, that's that's a it. powerful rendition. I love the arrangement there. And so, since the uh, Super Fans Next Generation. Yeah. Reminded me of it. Here's a little piece of it for those who haven't heard Disturbed's version, you hippies.
You know how I said that if uh, if I could have any singer's voice when we were oh, talking yeah. about this, it would be Brian McKnight. Yeah. Um, Are you changing your mind? No, I'm just saying, like, so that, like, if you if you wanted like that, so although it's it's close because that that powerful ballad voice, like uh, David Dr- Draymond has from uh, Disturbed, that's that's pretty cool too. I like that. It's a good. That's song that to spin yeah. too. Yeah, yeah, and so and so is the the. Uh, Next generation super fans parody song. That's a good 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 song to spin to too. Dan and Amy Chicago's morning answer. More Chicago radio listeners are choosing. This is Chicago's morning answer on AM five sixty. The answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. So, uh, the finger pointing over the bombing of this uh, Baptist hospital in Gaza, where hundreds were killed yesterday. Uh, of course, the Palestinians are blaming uh, Israeli defense forces, but uh, it turns out, based on the reporting, seems to be pretty accurate. Uh, for example, Jordan Shachtel reporting. Uh, one minute before a rocket blew up a hospital in Gaza, Hamas announced on Telegram they were launching their most robust weapons in the arsenal at Haifa. No rockets reach Haifa. High probability these hit the hospital and set off secondary explosions within the building. He went on to say there is zero evidence of an Israeli airstrike on the hospital, but videos are surfacing of sustained rocket fire coming out of Gaza at the same time that hospital blew up. So uh, much more likely based on the evidence that this was a rocket that was misfired by the Islamic Jihad and not uh, Israeli Defense Forces. And if you looked at the trajectory of the missiles, it said it was a misfire and it landed on the hospital. And the IDF and Benjamin Netanyahu's senior advisor said, we don't target hospitals, never had, never will. Israel does not target places like hospitals. They're, They're not a target for us, and we wouldn't have deliberately hit a hospital. Number two... Uh, we know that at the time of, the, uh, of this uh, tragedy, that Hamas was firing a barrage of rockets at Tel Aviv. Up to a third of rockets fired from Gaza fall inside the Gaza Strip because they malfunction. It is possible uh, that this was one of those rockets that malfunctioned. Uh, interesting piece, just to give some context of what we're talking about for uh, people that haven't been there and have a difficult time uh, perhaps understanding the dynamic at play here. I'm talking about pre-attack. Um, a piece over at the Free Press, which is Barry Weiss's outlet, by uh, a guy named Jacob Katz, who served in the IDF um, and was on patrol uh, outside of Gaza uh, back in 2018, 2019. Now as a 25-year-old, he's gone back. He... Um, uh, just offered some observations, some anecdotes, and sort of some uh, open-ended questions. Um, he talked about, well, one anecdote, just to give you a sense of what they, the, the dynamic is on a routine basis. I vividly remember a woman in a burqa walking toward the fence where he was standing guard, carrying what looked like a grenade in her fist, her arm extended from her body. She must have been 150 feet away when my commander launched one of the canisters, tear gas. 
As the clouds of gas began to rise from the ground, she collapsed as others came to her aid. I later saw a group of four or five small kids kicking uh, around a used tear gas canister as it fizzled out as if it were a soccer ball. These couldn't, kids couldn't have been older than eight, and their clothes hung on their small bodies like they were recent hand-me-downs from older siblings. I wondered what my life would have been like if I had been born on the other side of the fence. Would I have agreed with those who told me to wish for the death of another people? As Israel prepares for a potential ground invasion of Gaza, I think of those kids, and I hope they were able to flee. But I also wonder what role they now play today, as they're probably 13 or 14. How long does it take for those who were used as pawns to become the people moving the pieces? For more on all of this, we're pleased to be joined by Daniel Pipes, who's the president of the Middle East Forum. Daniel Pipes, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Thanks for inviting me. Um, what, what about that um, that soldier's perspective? And you know, he he goes on to say, you know, obviously we need to protect the border. Uh, I'm not ashamed of the time I served, and I'm he's going back to serve, so that sort of speaks to it. But he said, I do want to live in a world where 19-year-old Israelis don't need to fire tear gas at 8-year-old Palestinians. Is that possible? I think it is. <clears throat> I think, uh, in particular, Gazans, as opposed to people living on the West Bank, <clears throat> Gazans have gone through an extraordinary experience the last 15 years. They've been used as cannon fodder, not the usual kind of cannon fodder. Think of a Wagner group using uh, prison recruits in Bakhmut. That's the normal, if one can say it. In Gaza, Hamas has used its population uh, as victims. It's, it, it, time and again, now for 15 years, it has attacked Israel not to defeat Israel on the military battlefield, but to get uh, bombs, destruction, and death in return so Gaza, the, the Hamas uh, leaders can say, look, we're the victims. We've been killed. And there'll be protests around the world. The Iranian government will say, hooray. Uh, the left, the far left will say, oh, these are the poor victims. And it works. I mean, look what just happened. Hamas engaged in a massacre of some 1,300 Israelis. And the Islamists and the left are now talking about um, Israeli violence. So that's the background. The foreground is that Gazans are sick of this. They're increasingly not wanting to be used as victims by Hamas. And I think there is a turn in, in the Gazan population. And should the Israelis engage in the ground war, and should the Israelis get rid of Hamas, I'm optimistic that the Israelis can find a good number of Gazans who will work with them and build a decent administration, not necessarily a democratic one, certainly not a Zionist one, uh, but a decent one. So I, I am hopeful that out of this horror and carnage can come something good for Gaza in the long term. What about President Biden's visit? Do you think <clears throat> that that's just delaying the ground war that's imminent? I think it, it's, a, it's a two-edged sword. On the one hand, it is remarkable that he has gone so quickly to Israel in a, a sign of solidarity. Mm -hmm. Going there gives him even more leverage over the Israelis to say, you may do this, you may not do that. And uh, I think the Israelis are a bit nervous about 
they, they appreciate the first point, and they're a bit nervous about the second one. Well, sure. I mean, yeah, we've does got they want to... their war plan. Well, 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 well. Also, too, the 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 regional dynamic here. Um, you have uh, uh, King Abdullah in Jordan saying um, Palestinian migrants aren't coming to Jordan or to Egypt. You have uh, the U.S. evacuating its embassy in Lebanon. You have attempts to storm the Israeli embassy in Amman. Um, and then you have the prospect of Hezbollah it fully engaging in response to a ground invasion in Gaza. I mean, what, what, how do you see this uh, playing out in the near term? I'm inclined to see this as a series of events that are aggravating what's known as the Arab street, the general population. Uh, attacking embassies also in Ankara and Turkey um, and the like. On the other hand, I think the leaderships, whether it's of governments or an organization, a large organization, a quasi-governmental organization like Hezbollah, I think they're wary. Uh, I don't think I don't think Hezbollah wants to take on a very angry Israel at this point. So I'm inclined to think that Hezbollah will stay out. Uh, and I'm inclined to think that the <clears throat> street protests will will not have that much significance, and the real key issue will be Gaza itself. How effective are the Israelis? How many how many Israeli deaths will there be? How many Gazan deaths will there be? How how well will they take out the Hamas leadership, and what will follow? The news is that the Israelis are. It just came out that the war cabinet in Israel has said we're not thinking about the day after. We just want to win this war. I don't think that's really the case. I have private information that the Israelis are indeed thinking about the day after, as they must. It's very, very important. You, you can win the, the battle on the ground and then lose the war, because as, as effectively we did in Iraq and Afghanistan, because you didn't plan enough about the day after. And so what does the day after look like? Well, as I suggested before, I think it should be the Israelis working with decent Gazans but there are many other, many other uh, ideas. One of them, perhaps the most prominent, is that the Israelis invite in the Palestinian Authority, the nominal ruler of the West Bank, uh, to take over in Gaza. But there are two big problems there. One is it doesn't have any power. And two, it's almost as bad as Hamas. So, well, well, right. Well, but, but, so, but, but, I mean, no, I hear what you're saying, but, but I mean, I guess that's, that's the question is like, and from a perspective of feasibility, what is some sort of joint governance between uh, Israelis and Gazans actually look like? How, how would that be possible? Well, it is certainly possible for the occupying power to hand over the keys uh, and say, look, we'll, we'll give you some money, we'll give you some military backing, uh, and you build on that to... Uh, develop an administration that deals with, in the first place, security, and then with uh, utilities and with uh, education and health and so forth. But security is the very first requirement. That, by the way, is what we did not do in Iraq. We we disbanded the Iraqi military and did not replace it, and so there was chaos for years and years. Got to have security. So I, I think it's possible. I think there are plenty of Gazans ready to work with Israel and to run their little piece of land. By the way, Gaza is exactly the same size as the city of Omaha, Nebraska. It's pretty small. Yeah. And, and millions and, of people. But what is Iran's role in all of this? And will they have a say 
and what happens to it? Uh, the Iranians are the mobilizers. They're the they provide money, they provide arms, they provide ideology, they provide uh, spiritual backing. Uh, but they're not the only ones. Uh, Qatar, which is a quasi-ally, I mean, it's a, it is formally a major non-NATO ally of the United States. Uh, Qatar provides money and inspiration as well. So, uh, you know, Iran is now an enemy, and there's limited things we can do uh, there. But Qatar, it's, it's appalling to see how integrated Qatar is into our economy and our politics. Our educational system. Uh, exactly. Uh, when they are uh, not just backers of Hamas, but of the Islamists, uh, the jihadis uh, in many countries. Uh, the, uh, the the Palestinian uh, refugee issue uh, that I, I mentioned, um, wh- what would your advice and counsel be to the West in terms of how to handle that and how to perhaps encourage uh, King Abdullah and Jordan to change his perspective on it? By Palestine refugee, you mean the Gazans today? Yeah. Historic. No, no, the the God, the Gazans that you know flee uh, before the bombing starts and the ground invasion starts. That that, yes, those that have been told to get out. Well, I don't think Abdullah of Jordan is the key figure. It's uh, Abdul Fattah Sisi. Sisi. uh, Right in Egypt. Because Gaza borders on on Egypt, uh, and the Egyptians have been loath to allow in Gazans. Um, I think there, there are ideas floating around that the Gazans can reestablish their lives in nearby, in, in Sinai, in part of Egypt. I think that's not going to happen. That's absolutely unacceptable to Sisi and, more broadly, to the Egyptians. Um, temporary refuge, yes, and, and they should be pressured to allow the Gazans in. But long-term solution, no, they're not, they simply will not allow that. So uh, the Gazans will have to return to Gaza, however wrecked it is, and rebuild, and hopefully uh, not with Hamas as their overlords. And by the way, Hamas is not really a Palestinian nationalist movement. It's an Islamist movement. In in contrast to the PLO and Palestinian Authority that have Palestine in their name, Hamas does not. It's an Islamic movement, and it's not particularly concerned about Palestinians or Palestine. It's quite, quite willing to use them, as I said before, cannon fodder. They're, they're, they're there to be exploited for the larger mission, which is establishing an Islamic rule over what they call Palestine. Now, 30 Americans have been killed. 14 are still being held hostage, along with about 180 others. Uh, what do you see happening with that? I mean, there's been some offers, Hamas saying, stop bombing us and we'll give you your hostages back. But I don't know if there's... That holds any water. Well, that's the one side. The other side is the Israelis are saying we're not going to let anything in, though they have allowed water, until you release the hostages. So it's the usual kind of tense uh, negotiating between the hostage takers and the uh, government that's trying to get them back. Um, uh, I think the Israelis face some very, very difficult decisions ahead because the uh, Hamas is likely to say, you, know, you do this, we'll kill one. You do that, we'll kill another. It's an agonizing decision for any government. Uh, I, I expect that the Israelis will 
proceed. They will not allow the hostage situation to uh, blunt their efforts to get rid of Hamas. Well, and, and in terms of supplies and so forth, when Hamas can pillage the United Nations Relief and Works Agency, I guess they don't need uh, um, uh, supplies to be allowed in. Well, they do. Uh, the Egyptians could allow in fuel, food, medicine, and water, but they're not. Uh, and the Israelis uh, have been doing that now for years. Uh, it's, it's a bizarre situation. For example, electricity. The Israelis have effectively applied, like, uh, uh, supplied electricity to Gaza for years for free uh, to their enemy. Uh, yes, it's a, it's a, it's odd to underrate your enemy. No, but I mean, I I was being a bit facetious, but I'm just talking about this this incident where uh, trucks purporting to be from the Ministry of Health of the de facto authorities in Gaza removed fuel and medical equipment from this United Nations Relief Works Agency, which the United States primarily funds. So now we're essentially primarily funding uh, the supply chain that. Uh, Hamas has created by pillaging this UN agency. And so it's just, I mean, it's just more of this sort of, uh, as you were sort of getting to, the contradiction in um, application here. Uh, you're, you're cutting out on us, can't hear you. Hello? Sorry, I lost you right there. Oh, yeah, yeah. A second. I was saying that I, I think I think one of the benefits of this horror, one of the things that come out of the good things that come out of this horror, is that Israelis have learned that enriching Gazans will not blunt the um, hostility towards Israel. Daniel Pipes is the president of the Middle East Forum. Daniel Pipes, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Thanks for the invitation. Bye. Bye. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. This is Chicago's Morning Answer. Your show keeps me alive during the week. There's nobody I'd rather listen to between 5 and 9 in the morning than you guys. On AM 560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. So uh, Jim Jordan tries again this morning. To cobble together the 217 he needs, falling uh, 20 votes short. Or t- falling seven, uh, 17 votes short 20, yesterday? 20, 20 votes short. 20. Um, it was, that was down from 55 initially when he was uh, nominated. So there's making progress. But the question is, can he get over the hump with uh, moderates who are in districts that Biden won and a little jumpy and people that have a bad taste in their mouth as to um, how... The House Republicans got to this place, the deposing of Kevin McCarthy that was led by Matt Gates. Can he do that, or are we going to have to do some sort of um, deal to expand the powers of uh, Patrick, uh, give me McLiberty or give me McDeath, McHenry? I don't know. I don't know, it's but you know, a if, little old. If spending is the issue, why? I mean, I said this from the beginning. Why not come around uh, and unify around a vision for spending? The old uh, Tabor, the old Penny Plan that has been bouncing around D.C. and with Tabor, Taxpayer Bill of Rights, the capping spending uh, such that it cannot grow at 
the inflation or population growth, whichever is lower on an annualized basis, that proved pretty successful for Bill Owens back in the day when he was governor of Colorado and other reform-minded governors who pursued that, those sort of real spending caps. Um, maybe that's something that Republicans could resuscitate and rally around moderates and hardliners alike, but that's not where we're at. So how do we get to the place they need to be? For more on this, Steve Moore Economist, Govzilla author, joins us. Steve, thanks for being with us. Appreciate it. Good, good morning, guys. So um, so tell us how this plays out with the House Republicans as it uh, seems to get more and more absurd with each passing day. The hell if I know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is just a certain, you know, we have a cartoon in our hotline today. It just shows uh, the, all the members of the uh, of the house, uh, you know, on the house floor while wearing clown outfits because it looks, they're looking like a bunch of clowns right now. Um, the latest, Dan uh, and Amy, and this is going to make you sick, at least makes me sick, is that the only way that it looks like the uh, Republicans can get these uh, four or five uh, or six, um, you know, uh, House Republicans from New York is to bring back this. Uh, state and local tax deduction, uh, which basically subsidizes high taxes in right. states like Illinois. Now, if some of your, your listeners may like this idea because you you guys are in Illinois where you're, you have very high taxes, but it's a crazy policy because it just rewards politicians in New York and New Jersey and California and Illinois to keep raising their taxes because then the federal government will bear uh, you know, pick up the tab for that, or at least a share of it. By the way, this would be the biggest tax cut for rich people in the history of the United States. Gee, I didn't think, you know, um, you know, that the liberals wanted tax cuts for the rich, but they do when it's their own, you know, millionaires and billionaires. So is that detestable that they said, well, we'll only vote for a Republican for speaker if they bring back this crazy tax deduction? That's that's how out, how crazy things have become in Washington right now. The latest I'm hearing is that my friend Jim Jordan, who I think would be an exceptional speaker. I, I've loved Jim Jordan. I like Steve Scalise a lot, too. I thought he would be a great speaker. It looks like uh, Jordan will not have the votes today to get to 217. And it looks like, I think you said it well, Dan, uh, that Patrick McHenry, who's, you know, I've known Patrick for years. In fact, I helped elect him in his first race. He's from North Carolina. Uh, good guy, but, you know, he's not a superstar. Uh and so it's, you know, it, he won't be, you know, a star. Now, the other point you made was about this out of control spending. And it's going to go up, folks. The debt is going to go up even further. Now we're going to have to spend tens and tens of billions, maybe hundreds of billions of dollars on what's, you know, this war that's erupting in the Middle East. Thanks, Joe Biden, for an idiotic uh, energy policy that took money away from our domestic producers and gave it to Hamas and the terrorists. That's how they've been funded. So none of this makes sense. And then the Fed is going to have to figure out, gee, with the deficit going way up, are we going to have to raise interest rates again? It's a, it's a, well, it's and, a and, 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 ugly and, situation. And three weeks from now, you've got the prospect of more, another shutdown theater yep, episode yep. Um, or, or going to an omnibus deal. I mean, so it's just, yeah. uh, I mean, again, the 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 posture of Matt Gates and company uh, with respect to um, you know unleashing all of this, uh, yeah, there should be a there sh- play. yeah, it's a terrible play, right? Terrible play. Yeah. <sighs> uh, okay. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm I'm just very frustrated with the whole thing because 
this is a tumultuous time and a dangerous time for the country. And we don't have a leader. We don't have a president. Let's face it. We don't really have a president. And so, uh, you know, it's just, it's very frustrating to me. And it's, 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 uh, we've made a lot of bad decisions as a country. We got to stop this. And you're right, Dan. I love the idea, but let's put a, a hard spending cap on. Let's just, if we just went back to the amount of money we were spending before COVID, we could balance the damn budget. Uh, but we're $2 trillion away from that. And what they did, just so your listeners understand, is they spent all this money during COVID, you know, for the crisis. And they said, well, we want to keep spending this money. <laughs> well, right. I mean, the, 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 the whole point here is to keep this thing on autopilot. And if you can have right. uh, House Republicans abdicating control of the chamber they control, then it makes it that much easier. I, I just I don't understand why there's not some public calling out that, you know, it, it, Gates. Yes, I'm calling out. I mean, and maybe this is the play Jordan should make. I I offered this up as a suggestion for McCarthy back in the day. Look, Gates, uh, that we shouldn't have got to this place. I support McCarthy. We're here now. So I'll support McCarthy again. Or he, here's the thing. Gates and company, you have got to come to the table. And uh, Jimenez and company, you've got to come to the table. And let's rally around. Uh, reining in runaway spending with something like the penny plan or something like an, a federal tabor. And let's focus on that and let's challenge the American people. We're unified around these big ideas. And if you want these big ideas to be advanced, you need to change out the leadership of the Senate and the presidency. And that's what we're focused on. We're focused on this framework and going forward. You are so naive, Dan. You seem to be under the impression that Republicans want to cut spending. Well, I, I know, I know, but 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 Republicans are just as bad as the Democrats on this stuff. They want to spend money. They don't want to cut the budget. You could, I could probably uh, count on my fingers and my toes the number of Republicans who actually want to cut government spending. And I I, look, I don't want to ruin people's day. I know, oh, Republicans are so fiscally responsible. No, they're not. I I I know. We, I mean, I think certainly (laughs) most of our listeners understand this. I mean, we've seen Republicans in Illinois and how they behave, so we get it. but 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 maybe, but the maybe point Amy is, can tell us how we can get. Well, but wait a second. Wait a second. The point is, the point is you, you that you everybody pretends to be a fiscal conservative. Right. So if you make it public rather than allowing them to murmur it behind uh, closed doors, if you make it public, then at least there's some accountability. You're on the record. And it's something that everybody takes as a rhetorical position. And then you're sort of compel unification, even if it's somewhat phony. Good. Yeah, I agree with that. I'm just All saying right. I wouldn't All hold right. my breath and think we're going to have a wonderful outcome here. No, I'm not. Well, how long is this madness going to go on? Yeah. Unt- uh, until I mean, Hakeem Jeffries is a speaker. Right. I mean, is that the end game? Oh. My God, they got to get it together. I, I, re- I honestly don't know. I think it probably, I think uh, Dan was probably right that we're going to end up with a, uh, uh, with the kind of the least common denominator here. And that is, uh, 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 the the fellow from uh, from North Carolina um, who is you know he he's uh, not a superstar let's put it like that and uh, but look you got to get a new president I'd like to see a, a, a Republican really talk about cutting government spending I love Donald Trump I worked for Donald Trump I think he was a great president but I'll be honest with you Trump doesn't want to cut spending <laughs> and uh, now I had dinner last night guys with Doug Burgum. The North North Dakota senator. Yeah, this guy wants to cut spending. He did it. North he cut twenty seven percent out of the budget in North Dakota. He's a businessman. He knows how to 
uh, you know, trim budgets. Uh, the, the whole ethic is wrong in, in Washington right now. Every incentive is just to spend and spend and spend money. And Republicans want to spend more money on defense. They want to give all this money to Ukraine. Now, I know people listening to the show have very different opinions about whether that's the right thing or wrong thing to do. I'm against it, but I don't know what your guys' position is. But if we're going to give money to Ukraine, uh, and if we're going to spend more money on Israel, then let's cut somewhere else. Uh, I wanted to turn to some good news, um, and okay. the good news is that, that. <laughs> yeah, well, good news. I mean, from a Nobel laureate, you don't have a Nobel Prize. Paul Krugman does, and um, Paul Krugman says basically, if you exclude the things people actually buy, inflation's over. So that's oh, that's like good all news. The food and gas and all that. Yeah. Groceries, so yeah. forth. Yeah. It's a great story. We had this in our hotline the other day, where you know Krugman said. Oh, we've won the war against inflation. You know, uh, if you exclude, uh, you know, mortgages, rents, food, electricity, <laughs> you know, uh, your gas prices, everything else is stable in price, you know. And, as uh, you know, as you know, Amy, we've talked about this week after week. You know, you just go to the grocery store and you see what things cost for ground beef or eggs or milk or Cocoa Krispies. And you see, you know, that, that things are about twice as expensive as they were four years no, ago. No, but I always thought that there was a correlation between gas prices and you yes. know, the products we buy. Gas prices yep. have gone down here a lot, and it is not reflective in the grocery store yet. Yeah, well, I, mean, I still I can't leave without spending at least one hundred and fifty dollars. And I used to spend when my kids were home was four hundred. Uh, so I don't want to ruin your morning. Amy, yes. but the, it looks like my prediction is because of the, what's going on in the Middle East right now, and you're going to start to see some of these oil fields getting bombed and things like that, that the price of oil is going to go back up to $100 a barrel. Then we're back at $5 a gallon gas. And, uh, you know, so it's just, it's so crazy because, you know, you go back to when Trump was president and we didn't have these problems. We didn't, I mean, whether you like Trump or not, he was tough on Iran. He wasn't, we put $40 billion into the hands of the Iranians by not producing more oil and gas here. Forty billion dollars. How much of that money do you think went to Hamas? Uh, yeah, I want to just uh, on the uh, issue of inflation, though, too. You, you remember yeah. that guy um, from back in the day? He ran for governor of New York. He wore gloves for some reason. His name was Jimmy McMillan. He was uh, the representative of the high. rent is too damn high party. Rent. It's too damn high. That guy. Um, this, this, this report out, this report out 55% of households in the big apple in New York city spend a a majority of their income on rent. I mean, uh, yeah, I believe it. I mean, that's just 55%. Yeah. 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 Spend half their, half their income on rent. It's going to. It's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. I mean, mortgage rates are now running 7.5%. They were 3% under Trump. That means, you know, that you're going to probably pay, you know, rather than, say, $2,000 a month in a mortgage payments, you're going to pay $3,500 a month. By the way, I mean, these kinds of things aren't really figured into the inflation numbers. That's why people are so angry. I mean, people are financially stressed out. They're angry because they feel like the government is lying to us. And we borrowed so much money. Now we have a crisis in Israel. We've got the prices. We got China move, might move on Taiwan. It's a dangerous world. And we need a leader in this country. We don't have a leader. I mean, it's embarrassing to watch, uh, watch, uh, Biden in Israel. I mean, it's just, he's hardly able to get a sentence out. Yeah. Uh, you know, 
much Gavin Newsom. Gavin Newsom will be our savior. Gavin, yeah, that, that Gavin Newsom Ron DeSantis debate is coming up. Crush on him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, oh, by the way, I read that slightly wrong. It's a third of uh, New York City households spend more than fifty percent, but but fifty five percent are quote unquote rent burden, meaning they spend more than thirty percent of their income on rent. I mean, that's just unsustainable. And think about these upwardly mobile professionals and white collar jobs that are saving zero because they're paying six grand in rent for uh, you know eight hundred square feet. It's just a, I, I, well, it's I, happening all over the country. I mean, it's it's and even in the Chicagoland area, you're probably seeing a lot of people in that same situation. No question, no question. And you know why, by the way, because of uh, government restrictions on building new uh, homes and building new apartments. So, you know, isn't it interesting? The government is at the root of almost every one of these problems. Well, of course, rent control in New York, of course, the classic. Steve Moore, economist, Godzilla author. Thanks, Steve. Appreciate it. Maybe I could be the Speaker of the House. You know, you don't, hey, have to, hey, you don't have to go advocate for yourself. Could be. Throw your hat in the ring. Get over there. Get over to the Capitol right now. <laughs> All right, guys. Have a great day. Thanks, Bye. you too. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. Or you see it on TV, share it on Facebook, or read about it in the paper. Hear it here first. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560. The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. There's a uh, Canadian MP named Pierre Polyev who is running for PM, running to be the next prime minister to succeed that uh, grade school drama teacher uh, that Canadians made their PM, Trudeau. Was the internal limits? I don't remember. And he's been making uh, the the rounds, uh, making his case. Uh, he had this exchange with a reporter that uh, started making the rounds on Twitter. And it's really, it not, not only speaks to sort of the common sense policies, the explication of the f- fiscal recklessness and cultural Marxism that's attendant to the Trudeau years, but also that you need to go after these institutions that are fraudulent, that have public-facing fraudsters that are just flax for the state, like, for example, uh, the Canadian press corps, no different than the D.C. press corps, no different than the Chicago political press corps. So here's an exchange. He's eating an apple, by the way. Yeah, between the two. um, It is the it is exactly the proper level of disdain and ridicule. And he does such a nice job because he exposes this reporter, like so many of the reporters, for the dim bulbs that they are. They have nothing. They have uh, a uh, narrative to spin, and they want to give the appearance of legitimacy by asking the subject they're about to smear. Well, Pierre's on to them. Um, on On the topic, I mean, in terms of your sort of strategy currently, you're obviously taking the populist uh, pathway. Um, what does that mean? <laughs> well, ap- appealing appealing to people's uh, more emotional levels, I would guess. Um, I mean, what certainly, you mean certainly, you, certainly, you tap, certainly you tap uh, very strong ideological language quite frequently. Like what? Uh, left wing, you know, this and that, right wing, you know, I mean, it's that, that type of ideological thing. I never really talk about left but or right. Anyways, a lot I of people... I don't pe- really believe in that. Okay. 
a lot of people would would say that you're simply taking a page out of the Donald Trump uh, book. Like which people would say that? Well, I'm sure a great many Canadians, but... Like who? <laughs> I don't know who, but... Well, you're um, the one who asked the question, so yeah. oh, you must know somebody. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm sure there's some out there, but anyways, the, the, point of this, the point of this question is, I mean, why should, why should Canadians trust you with their vote, given, you know... Not not just the sort of ideological inclination in terms of taking the page of Donald Trump's book, but what are you also talking about? What page? What page? Can you give okay. me a page? Give me the page. You keep <laughs> in, saying in terms that. Of, in terms of tur- turning things quite dramatically in terms of of Trudeau and and the left wing and all of this. I mean, you 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 make quite a you know it's it's quite a play that you make on it. So I'm, I'm not just sure. I don't, under, I don't I don't know what your question okay. is. Okay, then forget that. Why should Canadians <laughs> trust you with their vote? Common sense. Okay. common sense for for a change we're going to make common sense common in this country we don't have any common sense in the current government you know the guy prints 600 billion dollars grows our money supply by 32 percent in three years that's growing the money eight times faster than the economy no wonder we have the worst defla- inflation in four decades I'm going to cap spending, cut waste, so that we can balance the budget and bring down inflation and interest rates. You'll want to be able to pay your mortgage again. You want to be able to afford rent. Then you have to vote for Pierre Polyev because I'm the only one with a common sense plan that will bring back the buying power of your paycheck. Now, the, the last piece of it was nothing particularly groundbreaking, but the whole point is that he spent the first 90 seconds just pillaring the reporter who was making statements uh, that were supposed to go unchallenged uh, before he got to the pedestrian question of why should Canadians vote for you? Right. I mean, that reporter couldn't even look him in the eye when he was asking him questions. Well, because he doesn't expect to be challenged. I mean, it's it's a real tutorial on how you have to deal with these people. And by the way, that generates a lot of interest, too, because repeating those last lines about uh, common sense and cap on spending and fiscal sanity and so forth, those don't have a lot of currency because, as we were just talking with Steve Moore, um, there's a lot on the center right, even the more conservative right, that really haven't lived up to that rhetoric, and so people are understandably jaded. But showing the willingness to go after the uh, Praetorian Guard is what people want to see, so they believe maybe this guy or gal is really willing to put in the fight that's required it's, it's a nice example scott mckay is the publisher of the hayride contributing editor at the american spectator and author of the revivalist manifesto he joins us now scott thanks for being with us appreciate it hey thanks for having me dan um, so, uh, yeah maybe we can see something maybe we can see something in canada that we've seen uh, recently in new zealand and ecuador and even in louisiana well, yeah, we just uh, we just had a uh, an election. So the primary uh, elections in our statewide election cycle happened on Saturday, and uh, they were a massive blowout for the right. Um, but on the and I'm sure we'll talk about that some. But but on the Polyev interview, <laughs> you gotta find it on Twitter and watch the video portion of it because the you know the 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 uh the best part of it is he's munching on an apple while he's listening to these questions yeah, right and i mean it, you mentioned the word disdain and it's perfectly descriptive because he's just busy eating that apple and looking at the guy like why is this guy harassing me with his garbage um and it 
I come from when I first got started in journalism. Um, I was the publisher of a sports publication that covered LSU. Um, and you know, not long after we got started, Nick Saban got hired as the coach. And every press conference that Saban gave was the Pierre Polyev interview. Um, <laughs> yeah. and We're familiar so, with that with, in Chicago with uh, the Mike Ditka years. Yeah. Coach. Yeah. And, and honestly, I don't, but it's, it's weird because Republicans tend to be bigger sports fans than Democrats. And I do not understand why Republican politicians don't adopt the, you know, the football coach press conference approach to doing these interviews. I mean, they're, they're solicitous to, you know, legacy corporate media idiots who insult them with questions and they just take it and it drives Republican voters nuts. You know, when what really is called for is exactly what you see in this interview where it's like, I don't accept the premise of your question. Exactly. You know, ask me another question because this one stinks and I'm not even going to bother. I mean, Joe Biden does that to friendly reporters. Right. And Joe Biden is barely sentient at all. And he's able to do it. And yet every Republican politician I see is like eager and earnest in their, you know, uh, acceptance of insulting and false narratives that precede questions that they're asked. And it's it's so refreshing to see somebody who is just not having it and and um, is willing to, to, you know, to look like a jerk, maybe. But. You know, so what? Because they don't care what the reporters say, and they know they're going to get written up in a bad way anyway. All right, let's talk about Louisiana Jeff Landry. And uh, did you think he was, you know, made it on top because of his support from President Trump? Um, I think that probably didn't hurt. But, you know, the the big issue is that Landry ran more or less a flawless campaign. Um, I mean, he did all of the retail politics things that needed to be done. He built local alliances throughout the state. Uh, He he headed off all of the other Republican, um, because this was a jungle primary. Um, He headed off all the Republican uh, candidates at the pass. I mean, you know, got in the race early, locked up all the key endorsements, the whole bit. The big reason why he was able to win 52% in the primary is that Democrats in Louisiana have utterly and completely collapsed. I mean, that party is not even viable anymore. Um, That's amazing when you're I talking mean, they, about when you're talking about them enjoying an incumbent governor at present. Uh, but I saw that we talked about it a bit yesterday. Uh, down three hundred thirty thousand votes on the Democrat side from four years earlier. Oof. Yeah, well, and a lot of that. I mean, I, I don't know if the, the people that left are all Democrats, but I mean, he's run off on net about two hundred fifty thousand people from the state. Uh, during the eight years he was there. And everybody knows that Louisiana is in a state of virtual collapse from a from a, the standpoint of a private sector economy and all of these other things. Um, everybody knows it, and everybody was ready for something else. Uh, and, and Landry had established himself as the most credible conservative candidate because he's been the attorney general. Right. And, I mean, they're involved in every one of these multi-state uh, lawsuits, whether it, you know, Missouri v. Biden, remember that, that, that thing is in the Western district of Louisiana, uh, at the trial level. And, you know, it's there because Jeff Landry's office was the one that put it there. Um, the social, the social, the, so, the, the social media censorship case. Correct. Um, which is, you know, probably the biggest, 
the biggest lawsuit in America in the last you know ten years or so. Um, so they like they've done all of these things that really established you know some some pretty serious bona fides as a conservative. And then having done that, Landry's campaign is all about crime. It's all about the fact that he's got some experience as an economic development officer, and it's about you know traditional values. I mean, like things that even Democrats can't really argue with. Um, and it was like a no drama campaign. And it was kind of, it was set up as a, look, I'm the most qualified guy. I'm the best guy to do this. You know, he barely even attended any debates. He didn't take questions from reporters that would be, um, you know, insulting or damaging or whatever. I mean, the, uh, the, the papers in the state have been after this guy for a long time. And he basically just ignored them because they don't have the reach that they used to. And he didn't engage them in ways that would put him in a position to play defense. And he built and built and built and built his support, you know, all the way up to election day. So, so is there? I mean, we have a governor's race in Kentucky too, and there's a lot of blue dog Democrats in Kentucky, like in Louisiana, and that's a competitive race in a state that goes red routinely. Uh, for presidential yeah. elections, but not necessarily at the state level. Daniel Cameron's an attractive candidate, also an attorney general. So you, I wonder if, uh, let's say Daniel Cameron wins and you see similar depressed turnout among Democrats and enthusiasm among, among Republicans, um, particularly with certain demographics where the depression is, where is real and so is the enthusiasm on the other side. Is there anything that we should extrapolate from, let's start with Louisiana, for next year? Well, I, I wish I could say yes. Um, I don't know if national Republicans uh, are capable of running the kind of campaign that Landry ran. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I mean, I, like, very much a a retail campaign in that, you know, he did all of his work sort of under the surface you know, building alliances, making sure he had the right people there to get the vote out, um, you know, and, and all of those kinds of things, and setting himself up as, you know, sort of a brand X candidate, like he was the guy that was going to win the race. And, you know, national Republicans are so bad at creating that persona that, you know, it, it always seems like our people are desperate. Um, and Jeff kind of broke through that largely because he's run a whole bunch of campaigns and he's won like all but one of them. I mean, it's like he just has the aura of a winner uh, as he runs. And, and we like, you know, we don't do a very good job of that. And I mean, I don't like I just don't know if we're talking about congressional and senatorial elections. Uh, you have to find candidates who can who can exude that. Well, let's talk um, about. Let's talk about urban centers in um, in uh, in in blue states or even swing states, and because they're you know the urban centers and their their footprint, the suburban areas of urban centers are critically important in places like Georgia, North yeah. Carolina, um, Wisconsin, exactly. and so forth. So New Orleans, New Orleans uh, has the highest murder per capita rate in the country, and yeah. I wonder what the turnout. And the split was like there, if that's any indication of you know, urban denizens, including minorities, uh, maybe not going over to the Republican Party, but n- not being able to bring themselves to support up. the Democrats anymore. Right. Well, OK. And, and there I can give you some numbers. So statewide, 
um, on Saturday, the turnout was 35.8%. Um, and in Orleans Parish, which is where New, you know, which is New Orleans, uh, it was only 27%. Mm. Okay. And the Democrat who got 26% statewide got 75% in Orleans. Um, you know, but they're like, they just didn't show up. And, and it's like you said, New Orleans is a shooting gallery. Um, and you know, this, it's a city in, in an abject state of collapse. Um, and everybody knows it. And so the place is run all by Democrats. The state has been run by Democrats and the results are awful. And so their voters don't really believe anymore. Um, and, and I think, you know, because it's all machine politics, the machine does break down over time when there's no performance. Um, I mean, like, you know, like in, in your city, I mean, the daily machine generally accomplished decent social services in Chicago for like a long time. Right. Um, and that's why people have tolerated a lot of what the daily machine did. But when things start breaking down, you can't get people engaged anymore. And that's when, you know, change happens. So I think that's what's happened in New Orleans. And New Orleans is dominated by, like, out-of-state money that flows through these Soros nonprofits. I mean, like, that is what controls the politics in New Orleans, just like a lot of other cities are that way. You know, but the problem is, is that when nothing works, it's hard to keep ginning people up to go vote. Uh, and they, they've run into that there. And I mean, I don't know that Louisiana is an outlier. I, I, it would make a lot of sense to start to see some of these urban Democrat machines that are driven by, you know, Arabella advisors, you know, placed money um, to start kind of, you know, the, those machines stop turning out the vote that they've been. I don't know that you could count on that as a Republican but it's worth it's something worth watching because it was in evidence on Saturday in New Orleans. Scott McKay is the publisher of The Hayride, contributing editor at the American Spectator and author of the book The Revivalist Manifesto. Scott, thanks as always. Appreciate it. See y'all. Take care. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. Connect with Dan and Amy on the AM560 The Answer mobile app. Just text the word app to 64636 to download the app today. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, after the pictures uh, have been circulating about the situation in Chicago police uh, stations yeah. with uh, migrants uh, using them as uh, sleeping quarters, um, a lot of people ask, well, where's the fire department? What, what happens oh. to the, the, the regs that are enforced against uh, other institutions? And so actually Chicago City Wire looked into that. Uh, Chicago Fire Department's Larry Merritt uh, said the fire department does not have jurisdiction over police facilities. It's not under our purview. He said the police station isn't like a venue, isn't a venue like a restaurant or a concert venue where there's an occupancy number. We've had this question posed to us from different reporters. It's not under our purview. Those buildings are, for lack of a better description, just not rated for that. So it's not our deal, essentially, is what he's saying. Um but it doesn't uh, so that's 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 fine and uh, it's understandable that they would be treated differently but it doesn't make the uh, working conditions in Chicago police departments uh, any better and doesn't make the lack of planning for this sanctuary paradise that our political ruling class uh has uh, foisted upon uh 
the city and the state, although with the city and state's backing at the ballot box, I must hasten to add, doesn't make it any more helpful to police trying to do their jobs, though, does it? No, it does not. 312-642-5600, dot pro answer line. 64636, type in DA, then a quick comment. Did you hear about, you know, they're just here to party. Did you hear about this story? The two Venezuelans who were caught shoplifting at Walmart. Guess what they stole? Well, they had like 15 additional items that were, you know, toiletries and things like this. They stuffed a karaoke machine in a bag and thought they could just do that and walk out. And it was a $130 machine. It was happening at Walmart on uh, 109th and Dottie. But these are two Venezuelan migrants who are living in the 4th District Police Station. So they were able to get them. But uh, they also had about $3,000 worth of weed on them as well. Uh, well, these Facebook, there's Facebook groups popping up to try to provide um, the bread and circuses for uh, our friends from uh, other countries, and most of whom are in this country illegally. But again, that's on the political ruling class. In Oak Park, this is interesting. Elisa Byler Desay, mm-hmm. River Force in Oak Park, virtual garage sale. She uh, posts, there are now close to 200 people at the police station waiting for shelter placement. Most are living outside in tents, but police station in Oak Park. Oh, that's interesting. Another, you know, welcoming city. There's a strong desire to work and be productive, so we're looking for things to keep our new neighbors busy and provide some fun. New neighbors? Why not new house guests? A basketball hoop is being requested. Anyone have one to donate? Have any other fun outdoor games you don't want? Uh, private message me if you want to help with the many other donations we need to keep our new neighbors warm. Please private message me. Oh, the the uh, uh, 60s refugees in Oak Park uh, stepping up. Uh, here, here, have some of my hand-me-down Birkenstocks. Uh, big drum circle at the parks uh, there in Oak Park. I know we're, we're just waiting for... Uh, the sheltering at parks and river forces Oak Park, as we've talked about previously. I mean, you're over there in Galewood at Edmondson Park. Why not move into Oak Park and River Forest? Right. These are welcoming communities. Look, they're trying to find basketball hoops and board games for the uh, people that are awaiting shelter placement outside in tents at uh, outside the uh, Oak Park Police Station. But but I, I say again, outside in tents, worried about the cold weather. Where is the Gandhi-like being of the change they wish to see, I wonder? 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. 64636-DA, turnkey.pro text line. Suburbs stepping up. Now, by the way, I do understand, um, I don't know this confirmed, but I've got it from a pretty good source. Yeah. Um, Joliet Township. One of those other welcoming communities, at least if uh, the township supervisor there had his way, they've got the eight and a half million dollar, uh, ex- uh, you know, payment from Pritzker to bring migrants into Joliet Township. Um, no migrant uh, dollar, no no migrants uh, cash for cash grant for migrants is happening. I'm told. Um, the uh, person who uh, messaged me, it's amazing what happens when you can hit a politician in the wallet. Um, and um, uh, the uh, the mayor there, Joliet Darcy, is getting some credit for this. He's also, interestingly, I guess, taking some heat for it from, obviously, the the element in the 
Joliet Township in Joliet and Joliet Township as as uh, represented by that township supervisor who moved to do this and then lied about it at a public forum. Uh, he's getting some heat, and I guess he owns car dealerships or his family has been in the car business for a while. Mm-hmm. And so he's getting some of the typical sort of boycott pressure from groups that say you should behave like BLM Brandon does and J.B. Pritzker does, and he doesn't want to do that for Joliet. So that's an interesting dynamic in Joliet. So it's starting to get out into the suburbs a bit, and um, I just hope there's the appropriate competition to see who is more morally righteous among the left. You know, maybe, you know, the first one that opens their doors, you're going to have the rest of the lemmings follow. So I'm just, I just, we just need one or two in a place like Oak Park and River Force. And then the social pressure, the uh, status, their status being jeopardized as a mindless leftist in good standing, I think will lead others to open their doors. What do you think? I think it's time they do it, yeah. Nick on the northwest side. Yeah, thank you. Uh, good morning to you and everybody else. Um, about uh, 30, maybe 40 years ago, I know it was a long time ago, but do we remember when uh, 15 million people, uh, mostly of Mexican background, were picked to be amnestied? Uh, it was uh, half of an estimated 30 million. And, and as long as they had, like, jobs and they didn't have a criminal record and that was over a longer period of time that these estimated 30 million came in. Uh, but the thing is, uh, we didn't have all this stuff going on. Like now, you know, uh, parks with tents and uh, people who are native, you know, people who are here who deserve some uh, treatment and care, not getting it because the funds and energies are diverted to these people coming in now. So I'm just trying to figure out what in the world went wrong with this uh, thing. Uh, it sounds like a typical liberal democrat party you know mess that they got into like uh like so much else that they do so that's what i want to say thanks 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 nick got a text message dan and amy all the river forest liberals should be inviting all the illegals into their homes into their mansions as house guests starting with lisa baylor to say i mean what's with this uh, get a get them a basketball hoop have them come over to your place and play play ball stay there you know, pitch tents in your front yards because it looks like park districts anyway. <laughs> George and Naperville. Yeah, with all these uh, migrants sleeping at police stations, I'm wondering if the police had to break up any pillow fights or panty raids. <laughs> yeah, a lot of the old uh, itching powder gags being played at the police stations. Chuck and Delavan. I just picked it up last week at a garage sale. I couldn't believe it. They're like 30 years old. They're the. Uh, they're the um, um, the charts, lawn charts. Oh, are those are those street legal? Well, they were outlawed years ago, but yeah, anyway, but that's what I got. I can get them down there. All right, all right. So, so to, uh, private message, Lisa Desay in uh, Oak oh Park. Uh, tell her lawn darts are on the way. Thanks for the call, Chuck. Yeah. Um, I, I, I got another really fun Venezuelan immigrant story for you. Well, okay. this this one guy. I don't know if you remember, but on September twenty seventh, this. 24-year-old Venezuelan was caught and arrested because he had a gun on him and he was in the loop area. And a, a judge the next day, Judge Cazas, you know, released him and said, oh, he'll show up, you know, come back in a few days for your court appearance. Well, guess what, Dan? He didn't show up. But uh, unfortunately for this guy, the gunman, he lives in the lobby of the 18th District <laughs> and he came home 
a few days ago, and they arrested him right there because they recognized mm. him. So, yeah, not so smart. Uh, we were talking about this with uh, Polyev, the PM, the PM candidate in Canada, mm-hmm. Pierre Polyev, a member of Parliament there, and then Scott McKay uh, at the top of the hour about the posture towards media when it comes to every issue under the sun, including this one. And so um, just to get a sense of the sort of uh, interference the D.C. press corps is trying to run for the open borders crowd, the the party to which they serve. Uh, Ron DeSantis was on Face the Nation with Margaret Brennan. And I, as we were talking about with McKay, I mean, I just don't understand. DeSantis is too good and too sharp to... Um, be as passive as he was While he on was this on issue, okay. uh, on this issue, this issue of border security, because that's there was a couple of issues. But I mean, you know, DeSantis, there's a lot of things happening. So he's not getting the credit for exec- his executive order that sent flights to Israel to pick up uh, 300 Americans, bring them back. He's sending supplies over there. This is all of his own initiative right. as the governor of Florida. And I mean, this is why he was so attractive coming into this race because he's a doer and he's sharp and he is principled but for some reason he has shrunk on the national stage when it comes to being a presidential candidate he's as good as he is is as bad as his campaign has been as far as i'm concerned but anyway the um desantis has made pronouncements about using the military to go into mexico to take out uh agents of the cartels He also talked about uh, the sort of security that's required at the border in order to dissuade all of those attempting to come here illegally. And listen to the exchange between him and Margaret Brennan and her characterization of his view. You in the past have said um, you would authorize the U.S. military to go to the U.S. border and shoot cartel members. You told my colleague Nora O'Donnell, quote, When somebody's got a backpack on and they're breaking through the wall, you know that's hostile intent and you have every right to take action under those circumstances. Can you explain how that would work? Would a soldier have to ask his commanding officer for permission before he shoots anyone wearing a backpack? Or is this just a blanket shoot anyone with a backpack? Well, first, uh, cartels are invading this country and they are killing tens of thousands of our fellow citizens with fentanyl. And this is happening in communities all across our country. We have every right and duty to fight back against that. It's typical how you would have with law enforcement or military. You define rules of engagement. They positively identify somebody that's hostile, either action or intent, and they engage. And the follow up. How would you differentiate who's a threat how how would you say shoot people wearing backpacks well margaret when you're down at the border i mean you see like the cartels will actually have lookouts where they'll just uh bring people across uh they will have yes they will be carrying uh, different types of well you have to make those judgments uh based on intelligence and all the other things that you do but i can tell you this once you show the willingness to actually take this threat seriously you are going to change their behavior. They're eating our lunch at the border right now because we don't do anything to fight back. That's going to change on January 20th, 2025. I, I, I think Ron DeSantis doesn't know he's running in a Republican primary. <laughs> yeah. 
because I mean, on the substance, uh, there's not much issue, and um, whether you agree with using the military to go on the other side of the world, I mean, those are we can have that discussion. But when a reporter says to you that your position is to shoot anybody with a backpack, and you then respond, you know, as t- taking giving her the benefit of doubt that she's trying to convey a, a representation of your position that she's just either confused about or she's shorthanding. That should have been a stop. Wait a second. Exactly. Wait a second. Yep. I mean, who do you think you are? You, you are such a disingenuous hack to suggest that, yeah, I'm for, you know, see the whites of their eyes and they have a backpack, then open fire and just slaughter people coming towards the border. Of course, that's not Ron DeSantis's position. And to entertain that, like she is a substantive person asking a legitimate question, is to make a a terrible political mistake and rhetorical mistake. You cannot tolerate people talking to you like that. If you're a governor, if you're a candidate, if you're a representative of a party, if you're anybody, you cannot start from such an absurd, offensive, illegitimate premise as the one Margaret Brennan started with with DeSantis and not address the premise and pull out your apple and start chomping on it like Polyev did. Sarah in uh, Northwest Side. Hi. <laughs> Hi, Sarah. Go ahead. Hi, Sarah. Oh, thank you. Yes. So I'm calling in because I work for an organization. I, I just started working for an organization in Chicago, um, granted money from the IDHS. And I thought, okay, we're going to be helping women and children coming over. And in a very short time, it's a, I realized it's a money-making thing for so many people. I mean, I have been processing, and it's scary. A lot of Venezuelans coming in have felonies, and they're allowing them in this country, and now they're pushing for this uh, TPS and temporary protective status. And they can process their papers with these felonies. They're being put up in what used to be five-star hotels in Chicago, they have 120,000 men in one particular hotel. There's, there's several downtown. But I said, how in the world can this possibly be a good thing? Majority, majority of these men, all men, in that particular hotel that I had to go to, um, have some sort of background from the country they came from, mostly right now Venezuela, because they're being granted this. And it, it's it's blowing my mind what I'm seeing the government allowing, the local governments, the government in general, of course, it all starts with Biden. But it, I also wanted to make a comment about the police stations. So I know for a fact certain precincts, because I've spoken to the uh, police officers, they, of course, are not happy whatsoever with what's going on. They're doing illegal even activities right in front of the police officers. No care in the world. 
And then they're getting these cards for $2,000. And what's happening is there's no communication. So they will leave a police district, go to another one, get another card because there's just no communication. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, incredible. It's Unsurprising, but incredible. Thanks for the call, sir. Appreciate that. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. The big stories of the day. Then talk about them right here on Chicago's Morning Answer on AM 560. The Answer. What is one Dan Prof doing today? Yeah. Doing a it- uh, interview with Shelby Steele for a forthcoming episode of my Counterculture podcast, which is available on all the podcasting platforms, Counterculture. Also, the American Greatness, amgreatness.com YouTube channel. So, yeah, Shelby Steele, look forward to that. We're going to have a wide-ranging discussion with one of the most uh, important thinkers about race and culture of the last half century, so it should be good. Great. All right. Well, thanks so much, everyone, for joining us. Thanks to George Hoffman, who's been in for Justin Kosick and Quinn McCarthy. We're back here bright and early tomorrow morning at 5 a.m. Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender.